year through the book of John? And uh, that's what I say is, yeah, I, that's, that's, that's my favorite book uh, in the Bible for a number of reasons. And when I, when I first came back to the Lord, uh, somebody was telling me how great it was. And so I read through the book of John, and I thought, oh, that's pretty good. And then the second time I read through it, I thought, no, oh, that's, that's better than pretty good. You know, by the third or fourth time through it, you know, it was like, oh, my goodness, this is incredible. And that's the way this book is. I just want to preface everything by saying this. You know, last Sunday, Barbie brought the sermon about reading the Word. And we always do that every year. And normally, I encourage people to read all the way through the Scriptures. And, um, but every now and then, you need to hear a different voice. And I, what she did last week was great. Uh, I, yes, it was. I, I've already shared it with several different people. Talking about getting out there, walk in those fields, and, and go visit your people. You know, and go live with your people. Go find out about them. Um, but I also know, and while I would love for you to read all the way through the Bible, I, I, I do that every year, I also know that that's pretty intimidating to a lot of people. And they get in and they get a few days behind and they get discouraged and next thing you know, it's February and we're looking to next year. Maybe, maybe I'll do it next year. Uh, one year I encouraged everybody to read through the New Testament, which was a little easier and I don't, people might have made that to March. I don't know. Um, but let me tell you, John has got 21 chapters in it. And if you read one chapter a day, every month of this year would not only give you plenty of time to read that, but you could, you know, go do something else uh, some of those other days. You, you need to read the Word every day. But, you know, if, if, if you get behind, at least you don't feel like, well, I'm, you know, I just need to go play pool the rest of the year. You know, you, you, you can actually uh, do that. Read it, read it every month. We're going to be in it every month. And, uh, and, and I just encourage you because you'll know Jesus Christ a lot better once you get to it. We're going to, John starts out with a hymn, uh, but we don't know what the music is to it. So we're not going to sing it. We're going to read it. Uh, it goes into narrative and dialogue for the rest of the book. But the first 18 verses are a glorious hymn to the word. Would you stand with me and let's read them together. I guess I ought to turn this on. Yeah. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, 
full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the presence and power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would reveal Jesus to us today. I pray that every heart here would know Jesus better, would see Jesus clearer, more clearly today than they ever have before. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Around the throne of God in heaven, there are four living creatures. And those four living creatures each have four faces. And those four faces are the face of, of, a, of a man, the face of, a, of an ox, the face of a lion, and the face of an eagle. And for centuries, um, most Christian thinkers or scholars of the word have felt like those four faces uh, were uh, compatible, congruent with the four gospels and would assign one to each gospel. And sometimes they didn't always assign the same one, but there was one book that they always assigned the same one to. And that was the book of John. And which face do you, do you think that they probably chose? I'll give you a clue. Eagle, yes, it was, a, it, was, it was an eagle. And the reason why they would assign the face of the eagle to the book of John is because the eagle has the best eyes of anything in creation. Uh, an eagle can look directly into the sun. You know, I can't even look directly into, into those lights. And, uh, you know, and, it, and it's difficult to drive at night and look into high beams, you know, turn those things off. But... An eagle can look directly into the sun. Not only that, when you think about it, I mean, consider the fact that eagles generally tend to spend most of their time fairly high up, uh, maybe a few hundred feet in the sky, and they eat a lot of rabbits. How do they catch those rabbits? Well, they can see them from hundreds of feet away. So an eagle has an amazing sight, and, and so too with John. John's gospel gives us the most insight, not just into the actions of Jesus Christ, but into the person of Jesus Christ. John, throughout this, this gospel, calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. And, and it's not because, you know, he's kind of going, <laughs> Jesus loves me the most. No, it's because he understood Jesus loves me. And we may sing that as children, but we tend to forget that as we get older. But as we really know the love that he has for us, that's the only way that we can clearly see him. In this opening hymn, he talks about the word, and I say it's a hymn to the word. The, the Greek word that's actually used there, that's translated word, is the word logos, the logos. And some of you are already familiar with that word. Uh, a lot of you may be. It, it has deep strong ties to philosophy it's actually actually its meaning has various um, shades and nuances depending on the, the the period of time that you're 
talking about or, or the perspective that people are coming from. Uh, but essentially, this is what it means. This is, this is essentially what the logo says. It's the unifying power or principle that underlies the created universe. All of the created universe. Beyond the, beyond the atoms, beyond the subatomic particles, beyond dark matter, there is an invisible power that holds everything together and it's not something that it's it's the realm of philosophy it's the realm of theology it's the realm of faith really uh, it's not something that science can investigate because when I say that it's invisible I don't mean that we haven't developed the technology yet to be able to see it I mean it's invisible but it is it is so powerful and it holds everything together and God re, John reveals the logos the word actually as a person and though John doesn't specifically say so, it's clear that he's using the term to apply to Jesus Christ. Now, when I was, when I was a kid and I would, I would read this passage, uh, I remember going to my dad and saying, what's this word thing? What's he talking about here? He said, well, that's Jesus. And I go, well, how do you know that's Jesus? Well, it's just it's Jesus. And, you know, I went, well, okay, dad says it's Jesus, so it's, so it's Jesus. But if you look at it and think about it, abs- of course it's Jesus. Because just, and here's just a few of the things. First of all, he, he clearly says the word is the one to whom John the Baptist testified. And the one to whom John the Baptist pointed and said, this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. This is the one who, even though he, he came after me, he was before me. He surpassed me. I'm not worthy to untie his shoelaces. I'm baptizing you with water. <laughs> and later on today, we're going to baptize someone with cold water. But I'm baptizing you with water. But when he comes, he'll baptize with fire, with the Holy Ghost. So the Word is the one to whom John testified. Not only that, the Word is the one who gives us the right to become children of God. It's Jesus. He's the one who makes us a part of God's family and brings us, brings us into his kingdom. The Word is the, the, the one who has made God known. Jesus said over in, uh, over in John 14, 9 to Thomas, he said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And at the end of this hymn, it says, God, the one and only, who himself is God and, and, and is the closest to God, has made him known to us. And, and the best way that I have managed to grasp this term, or the term that I was actually taught growing up, is that Jesus is, is the living word. And as a written word, and there's the living word. And let me just digress here for a moment and um, maybe give you a little boost here. When one of my favorite pastors that I've ever heard is my friend Phil, Phil Nelson. And um, most of you have never heard of him unless you've heard me talk about him. But, but he's a really great teacher. And the thing that I love about Phil, he's not really all that dynamic or anything. But every time I've listened to Phil preach, I've, I've come away going, oh, so that's how you study the Bible. Those are the kinds of questions that you ought to be asking. Those are the, those are the kinds of things that you should see as you go through Scripture. Uh, and so I really like sermons that kind of give you something that you can take with you and, and maybe chew on. And one of the things that uh, uh, several years ago I began to meditate on was, okay, if Jesus is the living word and there's the written word, uh, what's true about one should be true about the other. They should both. And, uh, and I'll give you four things real quickly. There are a lot more, 
but I'll give you four real quickly. Uh, one of them is they're both eternal. Psalm 119.89 says, Your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. And Hebrews 3.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. That's eternal. So both of them are. They're both uh, light. Psalm 119.105, Your word is a lamp unto my feet. It's a light unto my path. The psalmist also says, The entrance of your word brings light. Jesus said, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And we just, we just read it. The true light that gives light to every man to come into the world. They both discern the heart. You remember uh, Barbie's text last week? Ooh, you didn't know I was going to ask a question, did you? <laughs> The Word of God is alive and active and sharper than a double-edged sword, penetrating joints and marrows and separating the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. And Barbie was going, that's kind of scary. Well, it is kind of scary because you get into the Word and, and it'll begin to reveal the inside of you, the parts that you don't always want to look at, parts that you don't want to see. Over in John chapter 2, it says that Jesus didn't entrust himself to men. He didn't need man's testimony about a man because he knew what was in a man. In fact, it says he knew what was in each one. And so the Word, the living Word, discerns the thoughts and attitudes. And then last one, like I say, this is just a boost. There are others. As you go through Scripture, you might be on the lookout for them. Uh, accomplishes everything it's sent to do. Isaiah 55.11 says, My word that goes from my mouth... It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. See, when you read the Scripture, you're not just reading, you know, the newspaper. You're not just reading something that's kind of laying there. It's active. It's doing something in your life, whether you know it or not. And at the end of Jesus' ministry, he said, I brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. So when he hung on the cross, he could say, it is finished. He didn't have to say, oops, wait a minute. I forgot. I needed to get that one covered. He's the Word. And so what does this hymn tell us about Jesus? Well, the first thing it tells us about Jesus is that Jesus is God. And since that's become established Christian doctrine, I, I'll not belabor the point, but understand this, to believe the Bible... To believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior is to absolutely believe that Jesus is fully divine. He is God. He wasn't just a, a really good man who happened to have a good run and, and made it unscathed for 33 years. He's God. And sometimes people will, will say, well, now he didn't say he was God. Oh, give me a break. Yes. Yes, he did. He did say he was God. But, you know, you, you know, you quibble about maybe some of the interpretations of some of the scriptures. But consider this. He received worship. That's the biggie. I mean, that's, that's the one that absolutely nails it down. Uh, in scripture, the only ones you see, you, you, Satan tries to receive worship. He'd like to get people to worship him, but he's... 
liar and a father of all lies, and well, he's the devil, okay? And then occasionally you'll see, you'll see various men willing to receive worship, and, and they're real stupid men. They, bad things happen when you decide that you're going to receive the worship of others. And even angels, whenever, you, whenever, uh, whenever angels would appear to like the, uh, Daniel and, and various prophets and ones, and, and John himself, and they'd fall down and be tempted to worship them, they'd go, no, 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 don't do that. I, don't worship me. I'm just a servant. But not Jesus. When people worshiped Jesus, he received it because he knew who he was. He knew that, that he was God. And so it tells us here that, that he was God. Not only that, Jesus is a creator. The first thing we learn about God in Genesis 1-1 is that in the beginning God created the heavens and, and, and the earth. And the first thing that John tells us about Jesus is that he's the creator. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. He is us- uniquely positioned before creation. God, Jesus was not created. He was begotten. We'll talk about that a little bit more here in a, in a minute. But he, he, was, he was begotten. And in John's uh, epistle, 1 John 1, he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked at, our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the living word. Furthermore, he is the divine power that, that continues to sustain the created universe. Over in, uh, over in Colossians 1.17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. It, if there were no Jesus, there would be, I was going to say no nothing, but that isn't really right, is it? There would be nothing. There, there is a power that, that holds everything together, that, that, that keeps it from flying apart and disintegrating into nothingness, and it's him. It is him. And also, Jesus is life. In John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we tend to look at that and we tend to think, okay, yeah, that means that he's the way we should live. Well, he's that too, but he's life. Life started somewhere. Inanimate objects do not just spring to life. When I was in uh, school, I don't know if they teach this anymore because it's probably a little too embarrassing. But uh, when, when I was in school, they, they taught us that it used to be <clears throat> scientific theory that uh, uh, rotting meat created maggots. And, and seriously, I mean, from observation, there were no maggots there yesterday. Today, the meat started rotting and maggots appeared. Ergo... Rotting meat creates maggots. You know, just because you know facts doesn't make you smart. You may not necessarily know what those facts mean or how, how, to, how, to, how to put those things together. And inanimate things don't just take on life. But how did we, how did we become alive? God breathed into man and we became not just a biological life form. We became a living soul living being, real life. Jesus is also light. And make no mistake about it, light is more powerful than darkness. Darkness is the absence of light. When light shows up, darkness disappears. 
It runs. They never, they never have a, well, let's see who's the toughest one here. You know, me or you. No, as soon as light's there, bam. And I love over in uh, Second, uh, Second Thessalonians when Paul is talking about Christ coming back and he's talking about him destroying the Antichrist. Uh, in, in Second Thessalonians 2.8 it says this. This is a King James. And then he... And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy by the brightness of his coming. There is is a brightness, there's a light beyond what we know. Uh, There are colors that we've never dreamed of. There there is power in light that that even with lasers we can't even begin to imagine. I mean, the works of the devil are going to be destroyed by the brightness of his coming. And I love the way that, uh, that um, Peterson puts it in the message. He says, but the time will come when the Antichrist will no longer be held back. He'll be let loose. But don't worry. The master Jesus is going to be right on his heels. And when the master appears, he will blow him away. The master appears and puff, the Antichrist is out of there. Okay, that's pretty good. Jesus is light. And he goes on to talk about John the Baptist's testimony. John, John was still so highly regarded that there were some who held him in higher esteem than Jesus. In fact, there were some who wouldn't turn to Jesus because, you know, he was the one who took everybody away from John. John's my man. John, John's my guy. We, you know, we have a tendency, we get stuck sometimes in things. And the thing about Jesus and the thing about the God that we serve is that you can hold on to them and never get stuck because there's just so much of them. Just go on to infinity. But there were people, uh, you know, who were, who were still disciples of John. And, and St. John himself had been a disciple of John. He, he was one of the disciples who heard John say, look, that's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. If you, if you really want to know what I'm pointing towards, he's the one. And John went, well, let's go. But he loved the Baptist and, he, and, and highly respected him. But he knew that he himself was not the light. And John's testimony is a frequent theme of this gospel. And rightly so because John was the one anointed to reveal Messiah to Israel. And his was the only public testimony that Jesus would receive from man. Now there was that private instance where, you know, Peter went, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, Peter, you finally said something that you didn't think of. That was revealed to you by my father. But he told the Jews, he said, you know, I don't, I don't accept testimony from men, but there's one. There's just one. And that was the Baptist because he had been anointed by the Holy Spirit to do this job of pointing to Messiah. And so he came to us, the word came to his own, and his own did not receive him. He created all things, they're his, but since the darkness fell in the garden, we don't, we don't see very clearly. Since, since the darkness fell in the garden, we, we have trouble discerning things at times. And this is the way, this, this is a continued pattern. See, Joseph's brothers wouldn't receive him. They rejected him. When Moses came, initially the Israelites rejected him. And then he came and did all these miracles and stuff. And so they went off with him. But they kept rejecting him all, you know, every time, every time a little time had lagged since the last show. Since, since the last big thing he had seen, they, they would reject him. 
And, and even David, David's brothers, I mean, Israel may have not rejected him. They almost did. Well, actually, they did one time. They actually uh, voted for Absalom instead of for, for David. Uh, and David's brothers despised him, looked down on him. You know, why, why don't you go tend those little sheep that you got somewhere, little boy? Yeah. This is the way that it is. And so in Acts chapter 7, I believe it is, um, uh, Stephen, that was the whole point of his message. He says, you've always rejected the ones that God sent. And so when Messiah came, guess what? We rejected him. Because that's, that's the way that we are. He's the world's creator and savior, but like a wounded dog, we're, we're like wounded dogs. You know, if you get a wounded dog, you don't necessarily want to reach out and try and help them because they're going to, they'll try to take your hand right off because they're so hurt and they're so broken. And that's what we are, and that's what we were. And he reached out his hand to help us, and we tried to take it off, and he said, go ahead. But to those who did receive him, and a miracle happens. Something incredible happens. We become children of God and his heirs. And it's not a natural birth, not, not by human descent, not by... A husband's will, but born of God, it's not something we can do. Only something he can do. And this too follows the pattern. The first child of promise was Isaac. He was born to a woman that was barren. You may go, well, you know, sometimes it seems like they're barren. And, but then, you know, kind of, kind of, I mean, my mom and dad were married for 14 years before I came along. And I was the only, only child that they had. Um, and so it, they kind of felt like they were barren, but... Then they had their little miracle. Uh, yeah. And they kept trying, I, you know. So 14 years, that's a long time. Uh, Abraham and Sarah were probably married about 70 years before Isaac came along. You think that's enough to figure out if a person's barren or not? Jesus was born to a virgin. That's impossible. Well, yes. But what's impossible with man is possible with God. And everyone who receives Christ is born again. That's impossible, but it happens. And we're not, we're not just as children, because if we're children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I had a friend who got saved in his middle 30s and stuff. And he went home. Uh, he lived in Cincinnati. He went home and started witnessing to his family. And one of his younger brothers got saved. And his brother came to him one day and he said, I've been reading the Bible. And do you know that we are heirs of God? And Harry said, well, yeah, I think so. Because that's kind of how we treat Yeah, well, I think so. Hey, people, heirs of God. Okay? This isn't. You know, yay, I won a million dollars in the lottery. You know, <laughs> heirs of God. You know, we tend to think of it and we kind of go, well, yeah, he's going to come back. We're, maybe he'll give me Smyrna or something, you know, like that. No, no, everything is yours. Everything is yours as an heir of God. The Word became flesh. The Gnostics held that Jesus wasn't really flesh. It was just an illusion. 
and come and we'll teach you the secret wisdom that we have about the illusion and then you'll be smarter than everybody else and all. And, uh, and, and a lot of John's writings are directly in opposition to the Gnostic era and, and correcting them. And you go, well, Gnostics, man, I don't even know that word. I don't, think they, I don't think they're around anymore. Oh, they have a lot of descendants. A lot of descendants that are still with us. Jesus was not one of many avatars of God who came to bring us some portion of revelation of God or something like that. He was, the King James says, only begotten. A lot of the newer translations says one and only. The only. The only. See, God isn't looking for servants or slaves. I mean, we're, we want to serve. We should serve. That's part of God's nature, and so that's why we become part of our nature. But he's not looking for servants. If he wants servants, he can go, you know, servants. Hey, you think a Roomba's a big deal? <laughs> no, uh, God, God can do the real thing. He's wanting children, sons and daughters. Well, why didn't he just beget some more? Uh, because he put everything in the one and only. Colossians 1.19, for God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. And it wasn't like, oh, wait a minute, I forgot some fullness here. I can make Fred Jones out of this. No, sorry, Fred. It was all put into Jesus. And so when Jesus is put into us, what do we get? Oh, he became flesh. Jesus was fully human. Look at the person next to you. Look in their eyes and just kind of look them up and down. You know, don't be embarrassed. Don't be kind of like, oh, this is a public place. I really shouldn't look at people. Stare at them. Now, and if it's not going to freak them out too much, you might sort of reach out and, you know, kind of see if they're actually there. You know, are they actually real? Yeah, you can see if any more hair has grown. <laughs> that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. John says, I'm not telling you about something I heard about. I'm telling you about something that I've touched, something that I've seen, something that's absolutely real. The law was given through Moses. Why was it given? Two reasons. The ceremonial law was given to reveal God in some degree to us. You know, you kind of look at those things and go, well, what is that all about? Well, it, it, it's got something to do with the nature of God. The moral law was given to us to keep us from ripping each other apart. It was given to us to keep sin from destroying us. If the, I mean, if you think the world's bad now, imagine what it would be if the law had never been given. You can't imagine it because you wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here either. We would have already offed each other. It, it, it would be all over. And if Christ had come right away, you'd kind of go, well, you know, why didn't he just... 
Cain killed Abel, and now Jesus coming. Let's all get this sorted out. No, that's not. You see, if, if, that, if that had been the way, we would have gone, well, you didn't give us a chance. We can do this. I, I, can, I can do this. I can be good. Just watch me. Well, God did. And after a long enough time, he went, had enough now? What is the, uh, what is the solution here? What's, what's the answer? See, and also, just let me say this, because the, even, the, even the moral law isn't about keeping rules. The moral law is all about love. It says in Romans, love does no harm to its neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. So it's not a matter of, let's see, you did this, and uh, let's see, Code 17, uh, um, paragraph A, uh, subparagraph 2 says, oh, okay, so this is what I need to do. No, uh-uh. Love. We, we're sure not good at that. What's the, what's the solution then? What's the answer? Jesus is grace. From the fullness of his grace. Grace upon grace. Uh, the message says gift after gift after gift we've all received from, from his fullness. Now that you see that you can't do it, here's the solution. Grace. And even then we cry out, we don't want your grace. I can do it myself. In our utter stupidity, we think, better to rule in hell than to serve in heaven. Oh, not even close. Not even close. It's grace. It's handed out to us. And I'm not, I'm not one of the people who are of, of such an attitude uh, that, I mean, even that attitude that we have is met with, guess what? Grace. Where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. And, and you know, I, don't get me wrong here. I, I don't know where the limits are. I don't know where, you know, I, I, I'm not one of these people that goes, well, everybody's going to go to heaven, so just don't even worry about it. You know, I, I don't, I, that's not what I'm preaching. That's not what I'm, that's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that the, no matter what the depth of your depravity has become, no matter how long you have been in it, you get to the point where you'll finally go okay I'll take it you got it you got it he 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 will do it because he can't be unfaithful to himself and and that's who he is I do know this now is the accepted time today is the day of salvation and Jesus is truth the law showed us God the ceremonial law showed us God through dim images and symbols. and Jesus shows us God face to face. No, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. And, you know, I'm, I'm cool. You know, if you want to keep ceremonies and, and feast and stuff, that's great. That's fine. But understand, that's... That's the shadow. You know, if you've got, if you're in love, if you're in love with a girl, 
I mean, you know, I'm speaking from a man's perspective here. Uh, and, uh, you know, and she's right there. But you've got a, a little black and white picture of her right here, you know, kind of going, oh, yeah, oh, there she is. Oh. Yeah. And she's over here kind of going, you know, and you don't have to, she's right here. Oh. Yeah. This, is, this is Jesus. We can see what is God like? He's like Jesus. And if, we, and if we understood how much he loves us and that, that, how true that is and that that's what we're supposed to be like, not this little thing here that we're trying to figure out. We're supposed to be like this, then there'd be a whole lot fewer mean Christians in the world. And there'd be a whole lot more Christians, period. Because they'd kind of go, oh, are they ready back there? Okay, they just turned the light out. So I guess that means they are. All right, now, let me just say this. We kind of got our wires crossed. And so we didn't put water in uh, this. It's cold up there, folks. But somebody really wants to be baptized. So let's, let's, let's watch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, the longer you stay, the warmer it gets. This is Sabina. And <laughs> the reason the water's cold is it's my fault. I did not properly notify. Uh, Ronnie, but he was cool enough to uh, go ahead and say, it'll be cold. And then I asked Sabina, and she goes, don't care. So that's a testament to her. Uh, Sabina's a very headstrong person, and, uh, you know, she wanted to do this no matter what. Uh, let's go ahead and pray real quick. Dear Lord, thank you for this day, the blessings you have given us, Lord. I thank you for Sabina, Lord, and her uh, dedication to you, Lord. I pray you will be with her. Keep that headstrong uh personality she has and let her use it to your glory lord and never give in lord uh to the enemy lord bless her all of her life and through your son jesus christ's name we pray amen, amen. sabina do you believe that jesus christ is the son of god that he came to earth in the flesh he died for your sins and rose again on the third day based on your confession of jesus christ i now baptize you in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit <laughs> hey. Everybody stand. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God that you died for your sins and go from the other third day? <laughs> That's great. Head strong and heart soft. God can do a whole lot with that. He really can. For those who are going to pray for people, come. If you're here today and you need something this is how Jesus operated anybody who came to him and went I need he received them accepted them when he says come 
unto me all who are weary. He means it. So if you're weary, you've been carrying something, sickness, grudge, doubt, fear, uncertainty, hard relationship, come, come. If you want to meet this man that I've been talking about, the, the Word, the living Word, we'd love to introduce you to him. So uh, we're going to worship for a few moments. If you don't need to come worship with us because he's worthy of worship and uh, yeah let's do it Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ the living word who was sent into the world full of grace and truth may that grace and that truth abound in you may it be the the fixed focal point of your life 
and may it flow to others through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.